Good morning and welcome to Ursa's podcast series where we explore topical economic issues and see how they affect our daily lives and policy making here in South Africa. I'm your host, Margot G, and with me today is Professor Scott Baker, an Associate Professor of Finance at the Kellogg School of Management. Hello, Professor. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Welcome. Glad to be here. Great. So I think um, it should be great for our listeners to hear a little bit more about your, yeah, yourself. Could you please tell us? Absolutely. Yeah. I, so originally I was, I was born and raised in uh, San Diego, California. I uh, kind of grew up there, went to uh, Berkeley and then uh, Stanford for my undergrad and, and uh, graduate uh, degrees. Um, and then came out here to Chicago and uh, a professor in the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern. And uh, mostly I study um, kind of both household finance, uh, questions about household finance, and also um, questions about kind of uncertainty, especially policy uncertainty. Um, and a lot of my research revolves around kind of developing and, and um, utilizing new data sources and kind of big data sources and unconventional data sources uh, in, in trying to measure uh, things that economists care about, but also that um, maybe policymakers care about as well. Yeah, and I think in this day and age, it could not be more pertinent with big data and uncertainty. Um, very, very topical. <laughs> so we are very pleased to have you with us all the way from Chicago. It's really a pleasure. So I've looked at some of your research and one of your research interests, like you said, is um, you know, looking at uncertainty and specifically measuring economic policy uncertainty. Over the past few months with this COVID pandemic, um, you know, it's like I said, very, very relevant. And what originally drew you to this research? Yeah, so uh, this kind of strand of research is uh, done in conjunction with, with Nick Bloom, who's at Stanford and um, Steve Davis at, at the University of Chicago. Um, and we kind of started discussing this um, almost nine or 10 years ago or so back in kind of 2011 or so um, when there was a lot of discussion about uh, the uncertainty about economic policy kind of, uh, kind of coming up and around and uh, after the, the financial crisis, the, the, the global financial crisis in kind of 2008, 2009. Um, and we had kind of realized that you know, there was a lot of discussion about you know, whether this sort of uncertainty about what governments are going to do or the impacts of government policy um, might be impeding growth. And there were lots of anecdotal evidence um, about, you know, from firms saying that, you know, uncertainty about what the government is going to do was uh, making it difficult for them to plan or difficult for them to, to go and invest or hire. And this might be slowing the recovery. Um, so we wanted to kind of understand, like, is policy uncertainty actually high? Is it high relative to you know, other periods in, in US history? Is it high in other countries? Um, and so we kind of first set out to come up with a measure of policy uncertainty um, just because there, there wasn't really anything uh, that could systematically tell us the answers to those questions. Okay, so just out of interest, how was it actually then measured beforehand? Yeah, so, you know, Prior to this, um, there were there were some measures of of economic uncertainty. So, you know, in the United States, um, the, you know, people would often turn to the VIX, which is is really a measure of financial market uncertainty. It's a measure, you know, using um, options pricing to try to understand the you know the the likely path of of um, equity prices over the next say 30 days. Um, but this is something that's that's fairly distinct. We thought from you know, policy uncertainty, and, and there wasn't really a measure of, of aggregate policy uncertainty. Um, there were things that maybe tried to measure the uncertainty about particular pieces of legislation or 
you know, whether it was likely that one piece of legislation would pass or not. But there wasn't anything that really systematically did this across you know, all types of policy uncertainty. Um, and it certainly wasn't one that did so systematically kind of going back in time. Um, and so we thought that the, this was kind of a big um, uh, you know, missing component that would be useful uh, to, to, to answer questions about, you know, before we can ask, is this harmful, uh, we kind of have to understand how to measure it in the first place. Yeah, definitely. And I think the closest thing, as far as I'm aware, to the VIX in South Africa would be looking at, well, using interest rates that are linked to real options and the risk spread, which definitely affects our investment expenditure. And um, I mean, when you mention using legislation, if we think of the lags involved with that, I mean, it can take months for something to be passed and then eventually implemented or gazetted. So it really, I think one loses a lot of time. So could you then tell us more about how you solved this problem and how you yeah. about measuring it? Absolutely, yeah. So we, um, you know, we, we kind of started coming up with, um, you know, half a dozen or 10 different potential metrics that we could use to, to think about um, kind of new measures of, of um, policy uncertainty. A few that we came up with, with um, for the U.S. were uh, kind of dispersion in forecasters uh, in, in their forecasts about economic um, kind of policy linked variables. So things like inflation rates, um, things like government expenditures. Uh, with the idea that you know larger spreads means more uncertainty about you know potential the the future path of these types of variables we also looked at um th there's uh, for the us at least there's kind of nice systematic data on the uh, uh the likely the um sorry the fraction of um tax policies that are being that are, that are set to expire um, so the us sometimes passes legislation that has a set expiration date um, and these expiration dates often naturally lead to big political fights and more uncertainty about whether these uh, pieces of legislation will you know, continue in the future. Um, yeah. The main, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 I'm just, yeah, listening. Yeah, so <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the, the um, but the main kind of component and, and the one that we've expanded to more countries and back in time further and is kind of the most flexible is this newspaper-based component. Okay. Um, and so here the idea was that we could, um, measure policy uncertainty um, or, or kind of the, the prevalence of policy uncertainty by looking at um, the fraction of newspaper articles uh, in, a, you know, in major newspapers of the time um, that were written kind of discussing policy uncertainty. Okay, so it's not necessarily the, the, uh, the, the perfect measure, but we thought it has enough good qualities um, to make up for some of its shortcomings. Basically, if, if lots of media attention is focused on uncertainty about economic policy, it's kind of reasonable to think that, you know, this was something that was important or at least perceived to be important to, you know, business leaders, to households, to policymakers um, at that time. And the nice thing about newspapers um, is that we can, you know, for lots of countries, we can get their systematic archives, you know, going back in time, um, you know, potentially decades or even, you know, for, for some places, hundreds of years, um, where we can go back and use some kind of textual analysis to pick out these, these sorts of articles. Okay, so you look at the articles and then also specific words in the articles. How do you choose these words that you're going to focus on? Yeah, so this was a, um, a kind of an evolving process. Um, <laughs> we take a pretty simple approach in the sense that we are, are looking at articles that contain at least one word from, from three or four different sets of words. Um, and so there'll be a set of terms about you know, uncertainty, a set of terms about econo uh, the economy or, or economics, um, a set of terms about uh, kind of policy variables. 
Um, and then sometimes we'll add a fourth about more, you know, categorical uh, component. Um, and, you know, we started out with a fairly broad set of, of terms and we've done some kind of extensive uh, audits where we would, and, and testing, where we would go and download, we went and downloaded um, about 12,000 articles and had a, bu uh, a bunch of undergraduates as well as ourselves kind of read all these articles and see, all right, these articles, you know, actually are talking about uh, policy uncertainty. These might not be. There can be false positives, false negatives. Um, and, and we kind of pared down our, our set of terms to kind of maximize uh, the fit. And we think it does, you know, fairly well um, at, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you say then are the biggest benefits of using this measure as opposed to well, previous ones? I mean, you did say others didn't really exist. So what would you say yeah. are the, the biggest benefits then? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, the benefit relative to, to some things that have been used to measure, you know, uncertainty in general is that, you know, it's, it's a bit more specific to, you know, policy uncertainty in, in particular. Um, so, you know, the economy is going to move around for lots of reasons um, other, than, uh, other than government policy. Um, and so if you're looking at something like the VIX or maybe a more neutral, you know, measure of uncertainty, um, you're picking up a lot of these other things as well. And we're trying to focus more on, you know, a single component. Um, what we think that this index also offers is a lot of granularity and flexibility in several dimensions. Um, so, you know, one is that we can go back in time. So, you know, if we were trying to start using, you know, surveys about policy, right, we can start a survey and we can continue a survey going forwards, but we can't really go back and survey people from 50 years ago or a hundred years ago. And with newspapers, you know, we can. Um, we can also then go and, um, uh, with in, in places with sufficient data and with sufficient numbers of newspapers, we can kind of go down to a very high frequency level. So you're not only getting you know, an annual measure or a monthly measure of uncertainty, but even kind of day by day. Mm -hmm. And that's been something that we do for you know a couple different countries like the U.S. and, and the U.K. Um, and it's been useful when you have such a, a really kind of fast moving uh, policy environment like in 2020 and, and you know the COVID kind of crisis where economic policy is being discussed and proposed mm. and shot down or passed you know, in a very rapid pace. Uh, this is kind of useful to diagnose that. And then the last thing that we think is really nice about um, kind of using text and using newspapers is that we can kind of easily go back and add more um, uh, detail in terms of the, the category of policy uncertainty. So we can kind of zoom in on particular types of policy uncertainty mm. to kind of analyze that, and this is kind of useful for, for thinking about the likely impact, say, across different sectors of the economy. If the, if, um, the, the say, biggest component of policy uncertainty in a given month is about, you know, the defense sector versus healthcare versus um, you know, financial regulation, that's going to potentially have some pretty big uh, different effects. And we can, you know, nicely construct all of these different indexes for um, a number of different countries. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> really, really cool. So then what were the findings um, with regards to COVID and um, how does this level of uncertainty then compare to that of other periods in history? Yeah, so we've actually um, seen some of the highest on record in, in a lot of countries um, that, wow. you know, 20, 2020 has had uh, kind of spikes that, that rival kind of anything in history and, and surpass, um, uh, you know, at least recent history for, you know, many countries. So even going beyond uh, uh, the high levels that we saw during the financial crisis, 
um, or some other uh, substantial recent events like the you know, President Trump's election and inauguration and you know, the Brexit vote. Um, in the U.S., we can go back, you know, much further, and we can look at you know, different periods of like the Great Depression, which also was a very elevated time. But you know, the the uh, kind of recent uh, uh, COVID crisis has has definitely you know stood out, and I, we think this kind of makes sense, right? Some of the uh, policies being passed here are kind of go beyond anything that we've seen before. You know, we had the biggest stimulus uh, kind of um, package in history in the U.S., going out to businesses and to households, uh, that was discussed very rapidly. Um, you know, all these lockdown policies that vary by state and, you know, shutting down whole sectors of the economy, uh, shutting down trade, shutting down international travel is pretty unprecedented. Um, and we see mm -hmm. that in, in several dimensions, both in terms of the policy uncertainty, but also in terms of, of you know, some of the, the stock market behavior as well. So it's very interesting. We've often compared our economic slowdown to that of the Great Depression. So it's very interesting to hear that the uncertainty is actually worse than that at, you know, at least in the States. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think, I mean, one thing to keep in mind is the, the, the kind of elevated period of, of uncertainty around the, the Great Depression lasted maybe, you know, eight to 10 years. Um, <laughs> yeah. Whereas now this spike has been very concentrated, right? I mean, we, you know, we saw <laughs> spikes in unemployment rates and, and uh, um, uh, kind of falls in spending that was just faster and falls in the stock, the stock market kind of faster than anything we'd seen before. And so, you know, hope, hopefully it will be, you know, an unprecedented spike and then maybe we'll, you know, recover a bit faster than in the Great Depression. Um, but, you know, it remains to be seen, I guess. Yeah, and interestingly, you also saw that the general level of uncertainty has been increasing over time. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's a reflection of the way we're writing or do you think it's a, a reflection of, you know, what we're thinking or what's driving that? Yeah. So, you know, we, we've done a bit of analysis of this. Uh, it's kind of a trend we've seen in a couple of the countries that um, where we were able to go back, you know, pr prior to the 50s and 60s, um, where we've seen this trend in, in kind of increasing policy uncertainty, especially since kind of mid-century. Um, in the U.S., you know, we think that, you know, part of this is just driven by the fact that government has gotten bigger. Um, the, regular, the regulatory state has gotten more complex in, in many dimensions. Um, you know, the, the fraction of government spending to GDP or taxes to GDP has kind of increased in most countries. And so if you think that, um, you know, any given kind of decision by government or change in, in, in political party in power is going to be more impactful now that, um, you know, government kind of has control or has influence on, on larger portions of the economy relative to say, you know, early in the 20th century. Um, okay. A second thing that, that could be, um, uh, you know, driving some of this is the kind of increase in polarization we've seen. And this has been true in the U.S. and also in, you know, a number of other countries in recent years where um, there, there's some thought that the um, various political parties have become kind of more disparate, right? Especially in the U.S., um, it used to be the case that there was a tremendous amount of overlap between, say, a conservative Democrat and a liberal Republican who was in Congress or, or in the Senate, um, and that seems to be less true now that that these they've kind of uh, bifurcated and if you look at the kind of distribution of of votes or of ideological positions they've kind of separated more and more um, and so you know again you might think that that depending on the swing of of an election or of a single seat in Congress or in the Senate you might have big changes in um, in, in policy in the kind of optimal policy that's being set by the the party in power 
Um, And so, you know, again, that might cause bigger spikes in uncertainty about what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, that that makes good sense. So you mentioned other countries. So I want to zoom in a little bit to South Africa. And I mean, you know, these underlying issues that you talk of driving uncertainty, such as, you know, increasing the government share and also a rise in polarization. I think we're also feeling that to some degree here. And a lot of the uncertainty that we face has been linked to issues, you know, of credibility as well as you know, our growth policy has been stifled by many structural constraints, you know, specifically with regards to education and employment, our labor markets, and also our utilities with our, um, our electricity provider being very unreliable sometimes with you know, the load shedding that we have. And it has a huge impact on our, you know, on our economic growth. So how do you think we could use this technique to help tailor our policies, um, you know, and improve our policies first generally, um, I guess, you know, with long-term stability, as well as credibility. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, um, you know, use, using this as, as kind of a tool for measurement is useful for maybe diagnostics, um, also for understanding maybe some of the, the impacts locally. So kind of running some of the same you know, approaches uh, that, that we have run um, in the South African context, trying to understand how businesses maybe have responded might give you a way to, you know, show uh, you know, better better show or better illustrate to policymakers maybe some of the, the downsides to you know uncertainty uh, about economic policy. In terms of of you know more prescriptive things, I, I mean, I think just kind of recognizing that um, that this these sorts of uncertainty and and um, kind of ambiguity can be can be harmful um, is useful to kind of, uh, uh, kind of understand for policymakers and. You know there are there are some th- some things that can be done. I mean, you know, garnering more credibility is 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 great, but that's maybe something that can be done only you know slowly over time. Um, you know, building that credibility. Um, there are things like you know removing uh, uh, some of the short-term legislation in favor of maybe longer-term um, legislation is is one thing. So you know, in the U.S., one thing that causes a lot of uncertainty are, are policies that either have expiration dates or um, policies that say, don't automatically adjust to economic conditions or to inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like uh, you, you perennially have debates about, you know, optimum minimum wages. Um, and part of that is just driven by the fact that a lot of states and the federal government don't have a minimum wage that adjusts for inflation. And so after okay. 10 years, you know, there has to be a new fight about, you know, what it's going to be. Um, whereas if it was just kind of set to, to be indexed to inflation, um, maybe this would would garner less frequent um, uh, you know, political debates. Um, yeah. Similarly, you can have kind of counter-cyclical policy that's, that's laid out more by, by rule in advance. So, you know, maybe unemployment rates or unemployment benefits that are maybe somewhat more generous in, in you know, big recessions than in, uh, um, than in booms where you have you know, fewer concerns about the, the moral hazard effects uh, and, and more impact of the positive liquidity effects. Um, again, some of those things where governments aren't having to scramble during a downturn to pass new legislation um, to soften a, a downturn can kind of again produce a, l- a little bit more certainty, uh, a little less uncertainty about you know what's going to happen in the future. Um, yeah. So I think there are there are some things that can be done kind of maybe structurally and, and, and tactically in a political yeah. environment to, to reduce some of at least some of the elements of, of uncertainty that you might see. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think one of the key takings from this is that we can actually pinpoint, you know, 
how much is actually linked to the uncertainty as opposed to the other factors that might compound it. And um, I think that is really, really invaluable. So thank you very much. This is really, really cool. Is there anything else you would like to say to our listeners or any advice you'd have for them? <laughs> um, not, not too much, I think, actually. <laughs> Uh, I, think, I think you had you know, a fantastic set of questions. I think we covered pretty much everything. Cool. Thank you so much. I really appreciate having this opportunity to chat to you and learn more about, you know, learn more about your really, really interesting work in this area. And thank you to our listeners. And remember, for any more updates on our podcast series, please see our website and social media platforms. This is Margot G from the Ursa Podcast Series. Thank you. Until next time.